he, that is Jesus, entered into Jericho and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief of the tax collectors and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down. And he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they, the crowd, the church leaders, those around, when, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have sought us and bought us with your redeeming blood. We thank you that you did not leave us as you found us, but that you saved us. You brought us to yourself and into a whole new world and hope and life and peace in relationship with you. We thank you that you are a missional seeking God. And uh, Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would help us to see and understand this in such a way that we would join you, that we would become a seeking people. For we ask and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there is a method to Jesus' madness. Sometimes the people around him uh, didn't understand it and uh, they couldn't figure it out. But there was an explanation to the things that he did, but the things that he did were confusing to the culture that he lived in, to the culture that he entered into. Jesus was a bit unorthodox. I don't know if you picked that up about him. He was a bit unorthodox. He didn't play by everybody else's rules, the cultural rules, the traditional rules that had been sort of established in the religious community of the day. He was out of the box. He was surprising. He, he scandalized people. You're supposed to wash your hands. Jesus and his disciples weren't washing their hands in the same way that the, 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 the church people around him. And when I say that, it's to say that I believe that the church is Israel in the New Testament and Israel is the church in the Old Testament. It's the religious people, it's God's people that Jesus comes to, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. And Jesus, in a sense, comes to the church, to the existing people of God. And it is among these people that he does these things. And he doesn't wash his hands and neither does his disciples and they grumble. You're supposed to do it this way. Right? And we do that. We do this. You know, the, the, these traditions, these things that we say, it's not really clearly here. It's, you know, it's, it's an inference from, and if you draw, and if you think of it this way, you could say that you really should wash your hands this way. And so there was their big thing, and they grumbled. You're supposed to fast. Jesus said, you know, yeah, that's true. Fasting is a good thing. It's there in the Bible in the Old Testament and, and this and that. But, you know, it's, it's something that serves us and we don't serve it. And your rules about when, where, and why. My disciples aren't right now. They might later. But, you know, this is, 
Jesus just kind of breaks their little model and says, you know what, we don't have to do it exactly that way. That is not what the scripture says. That's your tradition. That is not God's law. That is your rule, not his rule. You know, you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. You know, you're not supposed to work. There's great foundation for this. But Jesus was just unorthodox in the way that he kind of exploded their traditions. It's one of their traditions that you're supposed to avoid sinners. You don't hang out with sinners. You don't talk to sinners, and you definitely do not eat with sinners. Right? This is, this is the religious wisdom of the day. Uh, this is the way the church is doing it. In over a thousand years, these traditions had grown in the church and in their thinking and in the way they do it. And, and so when Jesus walks into the way that we do it now after thousands of years of accrued thinking about this and, and doing it together, and this is how we do it, so it's, it's normal, it's unquestioned. This is the culture. And Jesus says, by our traditions, you are in the danger of voiding and obscuring the purposes of God. Right? By, by the traditions, you're, you're in danger of, 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 of not accomplishing the mission. Your rules are getting in the way of the, the mission. Jesus doesn't care a whit for their traditions. He just ignores them. He just does his thing. And he tells us what his thing is here in a minute. He's got a purpose. He is, he is a seeking Savior sent by a seeking God to save the lost. And he's going to do what he needs to do to do that. He becomes all things to all men so that he might save some, kind of like Paul does later on. And he just ignores their traditions because he has a purpose. He has a method in his madness. And so he scandalizes the church and they criticize him. And Jesus answers his critics. And he tells him about his purpose, why he does what he does, the method, the motive behind his surprising behavior. This story is so familiar to us. It's, you know, it's one of those, I don't know, I, even as I'm reading it and writing a sermon about it, I can't get the song out of my head. And, you know, and it's, a, it's such a wee little man. And he's, you know, climbing a tree. And then, you know, the, the, the song kind of gets stuck in your head. And it's just that, you know, but I want to strip, the, you know, try to put the song aside. Try to put it out of your head. And let's kind of look at it with fresh eyes here for just for a minute. Jesus enters into Jericho. I mean, it's a serious story, not just a kid's song. It's a serious story in the life and ministry of Jesus. And he enters into Jericho. We all know Jericho. The walls fell down. It's a place of God's great working and the, and the conquering of the promised land. And he comes to Jericho and he's passing through it. And behold, a crowd gathers. And everywhere Jesus goes, there's a crowd. I mean, once, once sort of you know, word is out, Everywhere he goes, he draws. And so the people are thronging in the streets and lining the streets and trying to get a glimpse of this Jesus. This Jesus, this wonder worker, this guy who scandalizes the religious leader. Some liked him just because he was a troublemaker. You know, he you know, does things that he's not supposed to do. And people like that sometimes. Anyway, the crowds gather. All kinds of motives. They want to see this guy. Verse 2, we're told Zacchaeus, a guy named Zacchaeus, is in that crowd in Jericho. And he's a chief tax collector. That's like saying he is a chief sinner. He's a big sinner. He's not just a tax collector. He's not just one of those publicans and sinners. He's a chief tax collector. He's a chief, big sinner, general among the sinners, worst of the worst. He's a bad guy. And not only is he a tax collector, we're told that he's rich. And if he's rich, that means he did his job well and that he used it to his advantage to draw a wealth to himself from the people. 
right? He's a tax collector, and you get rich by overtaxing and by colluding with the enemy in this way. So he extorts money from his own people on the ha- behalf of the Roman conquerors. You know, I was thinking about this, because I mean, you've heard this before probably, but I thought of it in terms of the 1984 movie Red Dawn. Have you seen that one? Patrick Swayze, throwback, right? Patrick Swayze. It's a story, it's, it's a movie about the Russians invading America and, t- and conquering our country. And so the movie is set in some little Midwestern town, and the Russians are, you know, America is under Russian military rule. And so, the, you know, the leaders and troublemakers of town are in a little concentration camp outside of town. The rest of the town is locked down under a military police ship, you know. So there's, it's a police state. And there's a small band of rebels in the mountains, a bunch of, you know, high schoolers or whatever, led by Patrick, as they resist the occupation of the Russians. It's almost exactly a very similar situation to, to the Jews. You know, there, there are a lot of the leaders and those who could be put in different ways under their control, but they're under a military occupation. And uh, there are those, the zealots, you know, who are still resisting and hoping and praying. They think Jesus might be the head zealot to lead the way out from under Roman occupation. But the worst people in this, I'm just thinking of this Midwestern American town, and you're, we're pure-blood Americans here, right? So... You know, you imagine that. So, you know, a lot of us, you know, people we know are in a concentration camp outside of town. Everywhere else there are guards with machine guns and we're under rule. And there are the few people, you know. Scott goes to work to collaborate with the Russians to raise taxes from you. Somebody you know, he's one of our own. And he knows us, which gives him an advantage in his job. And he collects taxes for us, from us. He shows up at your door with two Russian guards with machine guns to collect taxes from you. A certain amount of it goes in his own pocket. He's rich and living high on the hog, or some of our folks are in, in, incarcerated, interred in camps, and he would not be very popular. You know, and this is Zacchaeus. He is a chief of the collaborators, a chief of the sellouts, you know, a, a traitor to his people and to his country, a collector of taxes, and he grows rich on it. He grows rich on the fat of his own people. He's a hated man. It's kind of like, you know, he's the IRS. He's the chief of the IRS, only he's like the Russian IRS. You know, collaborate. The worst of the worst. So the people are thronging the streets, and you got this tax collector, this chief of them among the crowd, and it says in verse 3 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. You know, which you could read that he, he doesn't know who's passing through. There's a to-do, and he wants to know what's going on. He doesn't know who it is at the center of the crowd, so he climbs a tree to see who's everybody looking at. You know, or he knows it's Jesus, and he just wants to get a glimpse of the guy. You know, I've heard of Peyton Manning, and I just want to get a glimpse. If he's, you know, if you're in the mall, and there's a Peyton Manning's going through the mall, I was trying to think who would identify with this crowd. I don't know. You put your own football player in there. Some of you guys are like, Peyton Manning, forget him. But somebody, you know, who's your guy? Who's your movie star? That if they were passing through the Northgate Mall and the crowd was around them and you would like to get a glimpse, um, you know, that Tom Cruise is in the middle of that crowd. And so I could see myself stepping up on one of the chairs outside of Chick-fil-A to get a glimpse. I mean, wouldn't you? Uh, Zacchaeus wants to see. He says that there's a crowd he can't see, and he wants to see. He's not tall, so he's got to be creative, and he climbs this tree. I imagine people are squatting on the streets or jostling for position the way crowds are. So he climbs a sycamore tree, verse 4. 
This has made sycamore trees famous. You know, I was Googling sycamore trees to try to figure out the whole sycamore tree. I mean, was it like an oak tree? Like, what kind of tree is this thing that he climbed, you know? Because a lot is made of Zacchaeus climbing the tree. In fact, if you ask any kid about the story of Zacchaeus, the only thing he can tell you is that he climbed a sycamore tree. You know, we may not even know. But you Google it, and sycamore trees actually come in a wide variety. And I, I Googled Israel sycamore trees so I can get a sense of, and there was all kinds. There were some where the branches were this high off the ground, uh, and it was like a tree tree. And there were a lot of them, though, where the branches just come out at ground level and just go, and there were like six different pieces coming out. And, you know, they could be a pretty unruly tree, you know, but not difficult to climb either for, for a man. Uh, of small stature, and uh, not difficult to climb. wasn't like he shimmied up, you know, uh, <clears throat> a thing or jumped up and did an acrobatic thing. It was low-lying branches. So it wasn't a huge deal. I think it's overdone. <laughs> That's, I guess, my point. Uh, I, I think it's a mistake. Often Zacchaeus is made into the hero of this story because he climbed the tree. I mean, I don't know about you. When you hear the story, isn't it kind of like that? Zacchaeus is the climber, the initiator. He was so, you know, bent and, you know, and so, you know, he's the seeker, the attention getter, and he climbs the tree. And I think that misses the point of the whole story. Because I think the story is all about Jesus. Jesus is the initiator. Jesus as the seeker. Jesus as the attention getter. Jesus as the caller, the inviter the tradition breaker as he reaches out to Zacchaeus. And I think that's at the heart of the story, is that as Zacchaeus is there, invisible, uh, it's all about Jesus and what he does and why he does it. And that's what's striking about this story. In the midst of this thronging crowd, where there are religious leaders, I'm sure there are Pharisees and um, publicans and, and, and uh, uh, scribes and the lawyers and the Pharisees, Sadducees, and then there's everybody else, just normal people, regularly nice people, like, you know, good people, general people. And there's this throng of all these people crowding around Jesus. And the striking thing is that he singles out Zacchaeus, that he zeroes in on the chief of sinners, the big sinner, the traitor. You know, you, 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 you list it down. You know, and he calls him by name. How does he know his name? I mean, we don't know that. I mean, is there some way? I don't I mean, you don't get any sense that they've met before or something like that. It, it's more like some of those things where Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so he says something, that, that insight that Jesus would have, that divine perception. Jesus knows his name. I believe before the foundations of the world, his name was written in the Lamb's book of life, and the Lamb knows it. Uh, and so the Lamb calls him by name. John 10, 27, it reminds me of that. It's there in your bulletin on the second point, I think. John 10, 27, he, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Right? My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Right? That's it. Jesus calls Zach, Zacchaeus by name. He hears his voice, and he follows him. Follows him to his own house. Just like Jesus calls Zach, it's like God calling Abraham out of Ur and taking him to some place. It's like Jesus calling Peter from his nets, leave your nets and follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Right? And so Jesus calls Zacchaeus. 
made me think as we're doing all this, whether you have heard Jesus call your name. Jesus has called you out. Or you put your name in there. You know, and I like to do that sometimes. Put your name in the scripture. God speaks this to me and into my life. You know, Robert, come down from there and take me home. Robert, come down from your pride. Come down from your fear. Robert, come down from your selfishness and your rebellion. I'm having dinner at your house today. You know, take me home with you. And we need to see that Jesus um, invites himself. Zacchaeus does not invite Jesus home. Like he's not the star of the story that's, you know, that he goes to extraordinary lengths to invite Jesus. You know, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house, right? He breaks every social norm. It's very awkward, right? Isn't it awkward when people invite themselves to, into something, you know, that you're doing? It's, it's, you know, it's not the social norm. Jesus breaks every norm. Zach, come down. Um, you're going to make me dinner today. And invite your friends. We're having a party. It's unusual behavior. It disturbs the crowd because of the one that he calls by name and invites himself to his house. Of all the people in the crowd, you're going to his house? You know, if I was standing on the chair in the mall and Peyton Manning was going by and all of his fans were thronging around and and I'm standing on the chair and Peyton stops and says, Robert, I want to eat at your house today. All right. You know, Lynn, get some steaks. You know, Peyton's coming over. You know, but the crowd would be saying, wait a minute. He's not even really a football fan. He, he watches pro football. He doesn't even watch college ball. He, he didn't even watch Peyton when he played for the Vols. Why is Peyton going to his house? It's not fair. It's not right. The crowd would grumble. Why is Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house? It's not right. It's not fair. You've got... You've got religious leaders in the crowd. You've got good people in the crowd. You've got, but he wants to go to his house, Zacchaeus' house. Nobody goes to Zacchaeus' house except for sinners, right? Except for lowlifes, you know? Jesus says, let's go. (laughs) Zacchaeus says, all right then. Calls his friends. Stuns the crowd, verse 7, and we're told they don't like it. When they saw it, it says they grumbled. They grumbled. They complained. They murmured against him. They said it is wrong. It is sinful. It ain't right. It's not the way we do it. Um, good people don't behave this way. You know, we, we have different norms. You know, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Can't believe it all the nice people in the crowd. And that's where you spend your time. You're breaking all the rules. You're making good people mad. And I love verses 8 to 10. And it really is the answer to this. So it tells us that the crowd is, the church is complaining about it. The church doesn't like it. It's not how we do business. Um, you know, this isn't how it's done. And the next three verses are without transition, I believe just answer this complaint. You know, it answers the grumbling. And, and, and it's just kind of raw, I think, kind of beautiful the way Luke writes it and Jesus says it, right? Verse 8, without transition from the grumbling crowd, 
I don't know what kind of time passed. You know, that's why Luke just kind of jams it together like this. There's no transition of he gets to the house, they make dinner, they sat around, there was lots of nice chit-chat, they talked about the weather and the sports and, the, you know, Peyton's latest deal, and, you know, they, they, and then they got to religion and discussed tax collection. You know, there's, there's no conversation. It just is the, the crowd complained. The church complained. And Zacchaeus stands up and says, I'm giving half of it away. Half of my money to the poor. I'm, 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 I'm opening up my bank account and letting the good times roll. I, and if I've defrauded you, if I've hurt anybody, I am sorry. You know, if the law requires this or the maximum two, four, you know, up to four, I'll give four. If I've hurt you, I will make it right. Kind of raw and beautiful, isn't it? The crowd complained Jesus went to his house. The very next thing is Zacchaeus just giddy, giddy with Jesus. Giddy with what has just happened in his life. And Jesus, so you have this, I mean, there's this beautiful thing. In verse 8, you basically see Jesus' fruit. In verse 9, you see Jesus' benediction. And in verse 10, you see Jesus' mission or his method to his madness, right? And so in verse 8, we just saw Jesus' fruit, right? Isn't Luke 7, just if 10 chapters before, it said, the, the crowd says, it's in, I don't think this one made your bulletin, but Luke 7, verses 34 and 5, similar comments being made to Jesus. They say this, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus' response, Wisdom is justified by her children. That's his answer. Right here. Complaining again. Same accusation. What does Jesus say? You know, wisdom is justified by her children. Zacchaeus is the child, the fruit of this endeavor of mine, this rule-breaking foray into a sinner's home. The fruit of it in verse 9 is benediction. Today salvation has come to this house. A good word spoken over, pronouncing this is a true work of grace in Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus just got saved. Zacchaeus just got right with God. Jesus had loved and accepted Zacchaeus in a great public display in front of thronging crowds. Jesus loved him, accepted him, was willing to be with him, was willing to say in front of everybody, I'll hang out with you. I'll hang out with you. Let's go to your house. Right in this grand display of love and acceptance and embrace, and he goes to his house and and has fellowship with him over dinner. And Zacchaeus comes to faith, comes to believe because he was loved. A gospel with skin on it as he is embraced. And and we know that salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house, not just because of the benediction of verse 9, but because of the the fruit of verse 8. Right? You know salvation has come to somebody's house when their checkbook and their bank account open up. That's salvation. When it goes that deep, that far, to that thing, you know something has gone on. Repentance is visible. Repentance is 
costly. You know, all the money that he sacrificed. You have to understand, money is this man's God, right? All the ways that he sacrificed to get this money, the ways that he collaborated with the Romans, right? The way that he extorted and and abused his own people to fatten his own pockets, the way that he was willing to be ostracized from the community and be considered the, you know, general among the sinners, the way that he scrounged and went low, low, low to get this money. Suddenly he's free. Suddenly he doesn't care. Suddenly, I'll give half of it right now. Right now, half of it, I'll give it to the poor. You know, and if I've defrauded you, come talk to me. We will make it right. Four times right. You know, your relationship with money radically changes when you find the greater treasure in Christ. Because when Christ is your treasure, then money is your servant. It's just one way to show love and honor and glory to the God who saves us. God had fought, sought, and found a new worshiper. His worship of money is broken, and the chief of sinners is saved, and wisdom is proved right by her children as Jesus goes and sups with the lost. And so in verse 10, he gives us, after the fruit and the benediction he gives us the method to his madness his mission which is the son of man this is why i'm here guys this is it this is what i'm about i have come the son of man the old testament figure the son of man the messianic figure that steps out of the old testament and says the son of man has come and he's come to seek and to save that which is lost. He has a mission on his mind. There's a people that he is seeking. There's a church that he is building. There is, uh, you know, there is a, a, a purpose of God that drives what he does. And so he's unorthodox. And so he ignores the traditions and the rules. And so he, he's all things to all people. And he does what he has to do. And he, and he points them this way and says, this is what it's about, guys. Everything else serves In that sense, the mission. I'm here to seek. I'm here to save. This is why the Son of Man came. It's why the Word became flesh. It's why He dwelt among us. It's why He hung on a cross. It's why He rose from the dead. It's why He poured out His Spirit. It's the Spirit that will give us power so that we will be His witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It it, it explains it all. God Himself is a true seeker from the foundations of the world. He said, I will bless you to be a blessing. And it will go and you will be a light to the nations. And someday the glory of God will cover the face of the earth like the waters cover the sea. This is what God is about. He says God is a missionary God, a seeking God. And he sends Jesus. He says, this is why I have come. It's a central theme of the Bible. Human beings have become lost and need saving. Right? And that underlies that statement, I've come to save the lost. And those are two words that don't get a lot of traction in our culture anymore. Saved, saved from what, and that whole you're going to save me. You know, there's that, you know, lost some in the lost. You know, who are you calling lost? You know, or maybe we shouldn't call them lost. Or maybe we, you know, so we try to think of the better PC language to talk about those. You know, Jesus says they're lost. And he says it this way. James says it this way. Well, I would say, first of let me define lost then is it means specifically they are lost to God. Uh, it means they're lost in the sense that their relationship with God is broken. It's not what it should be. They're not 
right with God, and so they are lost to Him, uh, so to speak. That they, they're, they're, um, they're in need of saving. It's like a someone lost in the wilderness that will never find their way out, and the storm has broken, and they are frozen. And if there's not a search and rescue, if there's not a search and a rescue, the cause is lost. And so James puts it this way, whoever brings, it's James 5, it's in your bulletin under the last point, whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul. Right, there it is, from the wandering to save, from being lost to being saved, will save his soul from death, from separation from God, from this brokenness, this this thing that has infected our race and driven us in rebellion against the God who made us. We need to be brought back to God. Ephesians 2, Paul says it this way. Remember that at that time, that time that you did not have faith in Christ, before you had come to know Him, remember at that time, you were separated from Christ, so you were alienated, lost, broken relationship, alienated from Israel, from the people of God. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's lost. But now, Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's saved when those who are far away are brought near. Near to a repaired relationship with God. Things are made right by the blood of the Lamb who covers our sins, takes away our guilt. When the guilty, the fallen, the unworthy, the rebellious are reconciled and brought near. Saved. Unless we believe that God is a seeking God, we will not be unashamedly a seeking church. And it's one of the things as we have, that have happened in, in my life to reawaken and to remind us of why we exist. Um, and Josh and Morgan and I went to a conference this March uh, called Unashamed. Uh, I was unashamed together for the gospel and unashamed. And the video that you saw is one of a series that we're going to show you. They showed one of those before every meeting that we were in. And it was just a very powerful meeting, meeting uh, uh, you know, conference as we watched these testimonies, you know, and heard some awesome speakers sharing from their hearts about this mission. And, you know, we were talking in Sunday school just about how easy it is. I've been a Christian for 32 years and, you know, how lost I was when I came to Christ at 18. Just how lost I was and how God sought me and found me. And, you know, but 32 years later, you know, we just get so churchy. You know, we just get so lost in the stuff that we think is so important. And somewhere underneath it all, Jesus says there's a mission. Look, guys. I could care a whit for your traditions and your programs at some level. You know, I came to seek and to save the lost. And I want over the next eight weeks as we talk about this to recapture our heart for that, whether you're in the Sunday school and in here and we'll watch some of these testimonies and just think through what it means. What it means to move toward lost people like Jesus did. To ignore what everybody else says about him. Glutton and a drunkard, a sinner, you know, blah, blah, blah. To move toward people. Paul says, I become all things to all people by all means that some might be saved. Missional. 
that we as a church and as individuals become all things to all kinds of people using all kinds of means to see people saved, (laughs) reconciled with God. Unless we believe that God is a seeking God and that from the beginning of time that he knew Zacchaeus' name and there was a divine appointment to be had and that Jesus was here seeking and saving those who are lost and that he's calling people by name and he is bringing them to himself and he's bringing them to a right relationship with their God and, and renewing them and saving them as worshipers and finding the full purpose for which they were created. The happiness, the joy, the life, the abundance, the fullness, not only in this life, but in the life to come. That we would be unashamedly a seeking church, an evangelical, missional, outreaching, gospel preaching people whose method to our madness is we would like to see the lost saved. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning confessing that it is very easy to become distracted not only in our culture of grand distraction, but of the church's culture of grand distraction. We are worried and upset about many things, but really only one thing is needful. Let us sit at your feet this morning, Jesus, and learn of you, seeker and saver of that which is lost, that our hearts would be broken and moved and filled and captured, that we would be a people after your own heart. We ask it, we pray it in the strong name, of Jesus, our Savior, who sought us, who bought us with your redeeming blood. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.